Welcome to True Spirituality Network. We are focused on spreading the gospel of God's love across the world. The Bible says, There is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out every fear. As you feed on God's love for you, allow His love to cast out every fear, worry, and anxiety. God loves you. Luke 24, verse 47. Luke chapter 24, verse 47. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Once again, the Bible says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures about himself. And this was Jesus preaching here. And I know over and over I've been able to establish that the whole scripture speaks about one person. His name is Jesus. Every scripture, every chapter should point us to one person. His name is Christ. And more importantly, the event of the whole testament the event of the whole testament were all pointing us to one person and they were pointing us to the person of jesus it's all about jesus the scripture is centered around jesus and blessed are you if you really really understand this and i, I explained this when we started the book of revelation as well the Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. This was the first five words of the book of Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ. All pointing us to one person. The book of Revelation is not the revelation of Antichrist. Sadly, <laughs> um, in the name of, in quote, gospel drama movies, um, we've had a few in quote in quote drama or gospel drama movie in the past who claim to want to teach or to want to do movies around the book of revelation and their focus were more centered on the tribulations that happened on earth more centered around the antichrist event that happened after rapture but the truth of the matter is when rapture happens every believer will be caught up with jesus no believer will be left behind. Of course, I'm not denying the fact that we have events that will happen on earth after rapture. But the good news for us is we wouldn't be here. We would have been caught up in a twinkle of an eye with Jesus. But the aim, by the way, initially of the book of Revelation, the purpose is not to unveil unto Christ. When God was giving those words to John, when John was writing those words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it wasn't to unveil Antichrist. It is to unveil Jesus Christ. So if that happens with the last book of the scripture, unveiling Jesus, that's what the first five words says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it's the same for every book in the, in the early testament. The book of Genesis unveils Jesus. Jesus had been in the beginning. The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus has always been in the beginning. 
it has always been all about Jesus. Always been about Jesus. Jesus is in the book of Genesis. I've shared this over and over. For example, in Genesis chapter 7, Jesus is the picture and type of the ark. Noah's ark. Jesus is the picture of that ark. And it is to show us that a time is coming whereby judgment is coming on earth. But as many people that find themselves in the ark, they will be saved. And it's the same thing with John chapter 3 verse 16. For God's love God, he gave us Jesus a picture of the heart. Anybody who believes finds himself in the heart. We will not perish, but we have everlasting life. In the heart, in the heart is many good things, many good tidings. So things will happen outside the heart. But for us, in the heart, we are untouchable. A flood is coming on the earth, but it won't touch those in the heart. So it's a type of Jesus. So it's not the focus, the 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 the, the emphasis should not be much more on the heart. It should actually be on what the heart represents. That's what Luke chapter twenty four verse twenty seven was saying. It says beginning with Moses, the the books of Moses, the books of Moses are the first five books of the Scripture. Beginning with Moses, starting from Genesis, Jesus must have been telling them, you know what that heart of Noah, I am. And again, so many other events in Genesis. The story of Joseph is a picture of Jesus. The aim of the story of Joseph is not to form any five P's of success. You know the five P's of success? When they say things like from the pit to the prison, from the prison to the... And uh, any kind of palace and all of these things. That's not the aim of the book of Joseph, or the, of the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph was added, was seen in the scripture... To point us to one man. Again, his name is Jesus. The emphasis of the scripture, including all the Old Testament, is to point us to Jesus. So the story of Joseph, Joseph was loved by his father Jacob. Jesus was loved by his father God. Joseph was betrayed by his brother. Jesus was betrayed by his brother Judas. Joseph was sold Jesus was sold out. He was sold. They were both sold. And then Joseph was put into the pit. It's a picture of Jesus dying and going into the other underworld for you and I. And at the point of Joseph's life, he was brought out of prison. Or he was brought out of the pit and then brought out of prison. And then at the point, he had to sit at the right hand of fire. And it's a picture, a type of a time where Jesus would be raised from the dead and exalted from all principalities and power and made to sit at the right hand of the Father. And in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph decided to bring all his brothers into his inheritance. It's a picture of what Jesus did for you and I who believe. He brought us to where he is. Jesus said, I, I have to go and prepare a place for you so that where I am, you can come. Also, the place he was talking about is the right hand of the Father. So the Bible says in Luke 24, 27, beginning with Moses, Moses are the first five books of the scripture. Jesus began to talk about himself, explain about himself. The best Bible study you can enjoy is when the preacher is bringing out Jesus from the scripture or if the preacher is pointing you to Christ. So the story of Joseph is a picture of Jesus. The story of um, Abraham and Isaac is a picture of Christ. It is not to bring out any principle. Genesis chapter 22, God told Abraham, Take your son, your only son, whom you loved. It's a picture of Christ. 
<laughs> ironically i've had a preacher preach something like god tend to take the thing you value most from you and the person was using the story of abraham and isaac in Genesis 22 that is not true god doesn't even take from you god gives and he 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 supply and he keeps supplying god doesn't take from you <laughs> it is the devil that takes from you John 10, 10 says, the thief comment not to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come to give. I have come to give you life and to give you in abundance. God wants to give you rest. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you everything you will need. God is not in the business of taking. He's in the business of supplying. He's just supplying from time to time. So again, but if you bring out Christ from Genesis 22, God telling Abraham to take Isaac and bring him unto him. You understand it's a picture of Christ. For example, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. So if God told Abraham, give me your son, your only son, that means Abraham had two sons. The event actually is not actually more about Abraham. It's a picture of a time where God will have to take his son, his only son, whom he loved. And his name is Jesus Christ. So the picture of Abraham and Isaac in that context is a picture of God at a point who will take his son of Jesus, God's only son, whom God loves, and God will bring him and sacrifice him for the sins of the entire world. When you begin to unveil Jesus, even from the Old Testament, from all the scripture, faith comes. Faith comes by hearing here by the words of Christ. So the Bible says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus began to explain to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself and all i can continue i can show you jesus in the old in the, even in the book of exodus in the book of exodus jesus is there in the book of leviticus jesus is there i've preached on this before jesus is our sin offering in the book of leviticus yeah there are different types of offering jesus is our sin offering i, I just there are so many things i don't want to give this but why am i explaining this just make you understand we are trying to unveil jesus and this was actually consistent when Jesus was writing to each of the churches. Jesus would say um, to the angel of this church, this is what somebody said. He will unveil himself to them. We'll see shortly from Revelation chapter 3. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So the whole scripture points us to one person. It is not to unveil Antichrist. No. Any gospel that is unveiling Antichrist is not the gospel of Christ. Because, in fact, the word Antichrist was only mentioned four times in the entire scripture. And those four times was only found in one part of the Bible, in the book of 1 John. You will never find the word Antichrist in any other place again in the scripture. So we should, we should amplify what the Bible amplifies and be silent when the Bible is silent. The gospel unveils Jesus and what Jesus has done. The gospel is not to tell you the things you should do, 10 other things to do to become. No. The gospel is Jesus has done. If you believe that you become, it's about what Jesus has done. The righteousness of God is what the gospel unveils, not the sinfulness of man. It is more about what Christ has done, not ten things you have to do. It is what Christ has done. So let's see what Revelation chapter three. Let's continue our series. Revelation chapter three. I'm going to start reading from verse one. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter three. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says to the angel. We've already established this part that Jesus wasn't literally talking to angels. The book of Revelation is the book of symbols. So when he says to the angel of the church, Jesus will not be writing letters. 
to literal angel again if just wants to talk to literal angel god will, jesus will not send human to go and be talking to angel jesus will not send john to write to angel if it was literal angel into the angel of the church in sardis simply means to the leader to the messenger so he's not talking about one angel with a sword with two wings no when Bible says to the angel of the church in the book of revelation it's a picture so it simply means to the messenger to the leader to the pastor to the overseer to the shepherd depending on what title you have but as long as you're the one god has put in charge of that church or that ministry so it's a picture that to the angel of the church inside is right so we want to see what god or jesus who wrote to this particular leader of the church called sadis again you have to catch up with the past sessions to understand some of the things i'm saying jesus wrote to seven churches so there were literal seven churches existing as at that time however the word of god is alive, alive and powerful the words of jesus were prophetic so it wasn't just to the seven churches seven means perfection it's also to the general body of christ and your church will fall, fall under one of the categories of the seven churches. That's why the Bible always say, He was and here, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So let us see what God wrote, or what Jesus wrote to the book of to the church in Sardis. The Bible says this to the church, to the angel of the church in Sardis. God says, These things said, He that had the seven spirit of God. Stop. So this is what I was talking about. Jesus was doing what here? He was unveiling himself. Jesus is giving the church a revelation about himself. For different churches, he unveiled himself with different personality. They said, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirit of God and the seven stars. What does the seven spirit of God mean? It means the perfect spirit of God. Seven means perfection. Isn't that there are seven spirits on the throne of God? No, there are not seven. It's just one. His name is Holy Spirit, who is also God himself. This is the, the idea of Trinity. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. God is God. <laughs> and so Jesus who holds the seven spirit, the perfect spirit of God and the seven stars. So the Bible says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of I know your I know your deeds. You have a reputation of we need to go to the next slide. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I'm trying to see, is it the same thing I have here? I do not have a stool in my hand. By the way, so it says again, I know that works, thou hast the name, and thou livest, and art dead. Thank you. Verse 2 says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Stop. This is really going to take us some time to establish, to explain what the scripture is talking about. Jesus was writing to a particular church and said, Guys, wake up. Strengthen that which remains is about to die. I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. Jesus told them, You have a name that liveth, but you are dead. What does this mean? You need to really pay attention to this. This church in Sardis is a type of church that depends on self righteousness. Let me tell you something. The Bible says in a place, Jesus said, Except your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees, you shall not enter into the kingdom of God. The Pharisee kind of righteousness is self-righteousness. And the Bible makes us understand that if righteousness can come 
through the law, then Christ died in vain. If you can achieve righteousness on your own, if living right can make you right with God, then the Bible says Jesus died in vain. Righteousness is not you living right to become right with God. Righteousness is you believing in Jesus, and because you have believed in Jesus, you have now been made right with God. The Bible said concerning Abraham, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as a righteousness. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him as a righteousness. Anytime you put the focus, the confidence on self, then that is not God's righteousness. So literally, Jesus was telling them, I have not found thy works perfect. Our works are not perfect. Only Jesus' works on the cross is perfect. So Jesus was writing to the leader of this church and making him understand your works are not finding perfect. And the reason why it's not perfect is because you are building on another foundation. Anytime you build on the foundation of Jesus, your works become perfect. Jesus is the only firm foundation. is the only solid foundation. This church is engrossed with self-righteousness. And let me use another scripture to confirm what I'm trying to communicate. Let me show you a piece of the scripture. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it also um, amplifies this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I'm going to start reading from verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the Bible says, By the grace of God, or by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. This was Paul talking, as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. The next verse. The next verse says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. This is very powerful. I want you to listen to this. Listen to this in context. No one can lay, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If you lay another foundation apart from that of Jesus Christ, then your works is not perfect. Your works is not perfect. Only the foundation of Christ is firm and perfect. So the Bible says in verse 12, if anyone builds on this foundation, listen everybody, using gold, silver, and costly stones, wood, a straw, let's go to the next verse, their works will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Let me explain what the scripture is saying here. The Bible is trying to make you understand gold, silver, and costly stones. That's the kind of material. Those are divine substances which God wants us to build our life on. And in this context, Paul was talking about ministry, building your ministry around gold, silver, and stones. Those are divine um, substance. Rather than building your ministry on wood, a and straw. If you build your ministry on wood, a and straw, it's talking about men's resources, men's substance. And that is that that gives us a shaky foundation. If you build your ministry on gold, silver, and stones, you are being on divine substance. And it says in verse 13, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each man's work. Let me tell you something for a while. This verse, over the years, most times people get to misquote it. Because, for example, because the day the Bible put in verse 13, people think it's judgment day. 
people think on judgment day god will say oh everybody line up and then you don't line up and god now say oh yeah put on fire let us put their works through fire no that's not what it means <laughs> and they will not carry your works they will carry your service when you're on earth they will not carry you through fire and when they carry you through fire they, they burn it with fire to see if it will remain and then when they get it to burn with fire and then if your work doesn't remain they say oh so now your work is not perfect that's not what he's talking about He's basically just talking about the fact that that's why the Bible started. The context started by saying there's no other foundation apart from one that is already laid, Jesus Christ. So if you want to build your ministry, specifically talking about God works, if you want to, if talking, their work will be shown. That's the thing. Their works will be shown. Your work is either built on Jesus, the firm foundation, or built on yourself. So what we separate and distinguish what your work, your ministry is built on, there is a day is it judgment day no in context those are sadly some other translations is judgment day in the in the original in, in the literal transition it's not judgment day the evil day in context you know the bible talks about put on the whole arm of god so i'm able to withstand the scheme of the devil there is a evil day singular there are many good days for the believer plural but there are evil day evil day times when your ministry goes through trial season of trial even everybody has evil day singular there are times where you go through seasons so many different seasons but there are many good days hallelujah bible says we shall we shall see many good days it's the book of psalms it's the book of peter but again my point is just this so we all have time whereby our works is being tested and being seen whether it's standing on solid foundation jesus christ which nobody must be there in the foundation or if it's standing on our self-righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus is a firm foundation and it's already been laid. If we build ministry, if we build our works, if we do anything on our own righteousness, then Jesus can write to us and tell us, I have not find that works perfect before God. So your work can only be perfect before God if it is built and centered around Jesus. Hallelujah. So let's go back to the book of Revelation chapter, chapter 3. Chapter 3. So verse 2 says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which you may. They are ready to die because they're not built on Christ. If you build ministry, if it's not centered around Jesus, if it's not centered around Christ, then just is saying, I'm not finding it perfect. Verse 3 says, Remember therefore what you have received and heard. What have you received? Jesus was telling the leader of the church, Remember what you have received. What did they receive? You know what they received? If you go born again, the Bible says, Of his fullness have we all received grace upon grace the bible says in the book of romans chapter 5 that how much more will those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life just say remember what you received remember that you received the gift of righteousness if you build your ministry your works on jesus it's a firm foundation if you build it on yourself on your effort self-effort then it's on a shaky foundation jesus said repent but if you do not wake up, now listen everybody, Jesus in context told them, if you don't wake up, if you don't repent, I will come like a thief in the night. And you will not know what time I will come to you. So Jesus is talking to the leaders of this church, that if you do not repent, I will come like a thief in the night. Is he also talking about judgment day? No. In this context, just said, if you don't repent, I will come like a thief. I will come all of a sudden. If you don't repent, I will just come to you guys. All of a sudden so it's not 
to scare them. It's not to say, oh, if you don't repent, something bad will happen. No. In this context, it's, it's telling them, if you don't wake up to my righteousness, there's a place in the book of Corinthians that says, awaken to righteousness. God is trying to make them understand. Focus on Jesus. Focus on me. Because it is only me. You have a firm foundation. And then verse 4. Let's see what verse 4 says. Verse 4 now says, this is the good news. Verse 4 says, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis. Jesus was writing to the angel, to the leader of the church. So after Jesus told the leader and says, You know what? Some of you are building your foundation on your self-foundation. I have not found your works finished. However, verse 1 says, Yet you have a few people. There are some of your church members. You have some of the people with you who have not soiled their garment. They will walk with me dressed in white for their worthy. What does it mean? What does it mean to be dressed in white? It simply means this set of people, there are some people that are actually enjoying their justification before God. To be washed, to be dressed in white means you have been washed by the blood of Jesus. The Bible says in the book of Isaiah that though your sins are as red as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. So what makes us worthy, what makes us dressed in white is when we put on the righteousness of God. Not our self-righteousness. You know what the Bible calls your own righteousness is like a few deal rag. But you know what Jesus' righteousness is? It is pure white and it makes you worthy. You are standing right today not because of the things you do or the things that you didn't do. Holiness is very important. For you can only live holy or you can only understand your holiness in Christ. That Jesus is your holiness after you begin to focus and receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Righteousness is not to be achieved. Our righteousness minus Jesus, they are like you do right. But when we receive his own righteousness, we are dressed in white. And the Bible says then we, we, we are worthy. That's what the Bible is saying. It said there are some of some among you, they are dressed in white and they are worthy. Hallelujah. And then verse 5, more good news says, He that overcometh. What does it mean to overcome? By now, everybody should understand this. And that verse says, The one who is victorious. What does he what do mean to be victorious? What does it mean to overcome? It means to be born again. We established this already in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. Everybody knows that already. The Bible says, Whosoever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes all even our faith. And then verse 5 says, Who is he that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Yes. Then you are born again. Then you are an overcomer. If you are born again, you are an overcomer. So at the end of every letter, Jesus will say, To him that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white women. Stop. Do you understand the context now? Do you understand what Jesus is trying to build up? So Jesus started by telling the leader of the church that I have not found your works perfect before me. Because why? They were building on self-righteousness. But Jesus said, there are some people among you, they were dressed in white and they are worthy. What does it mean to be clothed in white? They have received my righteousness. And Jesus now told them again, to the one who is victorious, to the one who gets born again, to the one who is born again among your church members, to be overcome, to be victorious means you are born again, you believe just Son of God. Jesus said, I will clothe in white raiment. If you receive Jesus, he will clothe you with the garment of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. It is to be received, not achieved. As a believer, your quest not be, Lord, I'm trying my best to be righteous. No, that's ignorance. You have already been made right in Christ. You are already the righteousness of God. The gospel is not to make you aspire righteousness and make you desire. Maybe in the future you will make it. No, the gospel is to make you understand that because of what Jesus did, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made him who knew no sin to the sin so that you can become the righteousness of God. 
you became God's righteousness when you got saved. And you've been made righteous from the day you got saved, whether you know it or not. You have been made righteous by the blood of the Lamb. You've been justified, you've been purified. If you're born again, you are dressed in white garments. Live in the consciousness of who you are in Christ. Hallelujah. And then verse 6 says, He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto the churches. Hallelujah. And then we move on to the next church. The next church is Philadelphia Church. This is one of my best, one of my, my, my favorite church. I always call this church the True Spirituality Church. This platform is called True Spirituality Network. And I always like to um, say that I want every church to be this, this kind of church. This was the only church that received commendation throughout. Let us see what Jesus wrote to them. Revelation chapter 3, verse 7. The Bible says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things said he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the keys of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Glory to God. It's so amazing to know that Jesus is the only one that has the keys of your life. Jesus has the key. And when he says the word concerning your life, when Jesus says the word about you, only him can open a door and nobody can shut. Listen, it's not a prayer point. You shouldn't be saying, every door somebody opens. Nobody opens any door. The only door that's opening your life is the one Jesus opens. Jesus is the half and omega by your life. You shouldn't have insecurity about the things Christ has given to you. The Bible says he has the keys. Jesus holds the keys of David. And I strongly believe that from time to time, Jesus begins to open many good doors concerning your life. Do not fall under any temptation of thinking there are some people somewhere, they hold your key, they care of your life. No, don't, don't join them to pray that wrong prayer point. <laughs> you know, people pray so many wrong prayer points. Only Jesus has the keys of your life. Jesus has the key of your life. And it says when he opens a door, nobody can shut. It's not a prayer point. You can rest in him. You can rest in Christ. And let him begin to open more doors of favor for you. More doors of grace. Of his goodness have we received grace upon grace. Hallelujah. And then verse 8 says, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. You see, the only door just has set for you are open doors. Doors of open doors. And when you begin to acknowledge this, when you begin to walk by faith. When you say things like, Father, I thank you because the door of favor, favor is opened unto me. It's not a prayer point. You're already favored by God. Don't be begging God, God, please favor me. Lord, please favor me. No. You are not You are not trying to be favored. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the Lord of our God, Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. You are already the favored of God. Live in the consciousness. You have an interview. Don't be saying, hey, Lord, please, let them choose me. Lord, please, no. Walk there with confidence, full assurance of faith. And say, Father, I thank you because I am favored. If we are one million, they will choose me because the favor of God is upon my life. That's how we walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. You don't say that, hey, I don't know somebody there. I will lie in that. No, you are the favored of God. The favor of God is haunting you down. So they will choose you. They have no choice. Don't think you are not favored yet. You are not trying to be favored. No, it is an insult unto God for you to think you are born again and you are not favored yet. The fact that you are favored is the proof that the favor of God, the fact that you are born again is the proof that the favor of God is unto you now, is upon you. You have Jesus, you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. So that makes us understand 
I know their works. Okay, I've said before, yeah, open door. No man can shut it. Nobody can shut it. No village people can shut it. It is not a prayer point. Don't be wasting your prayer time to be praying against village people. You are already seated above village people. They can't touch you. In Zion, perhaps you have come out to Zion, village people don't exist in Zion. Don't allow the devil to give you an illusion to keep you busy. It will, be, it will only distract you. It will take a bulk of your time. Village people doesn't exist in Zion. You've come unto Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, where the spirit of the just and are made perfect. Live in the reality of where you are in the spirit. Don't keep taking yourself again back to the kingdom. The Bible says God has God translated, translated you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. Don't keep taking yourself again back to where God already delivered you from. You are now in Zion. Village people don't exist. Because in Zion, you are seated far above village people, far above principalities and powers. Hallelujah. So when God opens a door for you, don't enter into insecurity and say, Lord, this door be not shut. That's a rubbish prayer point. When God opens the door, it is open forever. Hallelujah. So the Bible says, For thou art a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. There are two major things you should underline in your Bible that makes Philadelphia Church stand out. Number one, they kept the word of God and they kept, they have not denied the name of Jesus. They kept my word. It's very important. Blessed are you if you attend a church whereby the focus is always centered around the word of God. Let me put it this way. Blessed are you if you attend any church whereby the word of God is elevated above every other thing. <laughs> a few days ago, somebody was sharing with me that, um, um, she realized that in some places, they tend to elevate visions over the word of God. So it's almost as if every time there's always a vision, a vision, or the leader of the church is always having a vision. So they build the church, focus more on demands vision rather than focusing on the word of God. The word of God should always be elevated above any vision, prophecy, or whatever it is. The Bible puts it this way in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10. The Bible says, bringing into captivity every thought that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. The knowledge of, of the word of God is the standard. The word of God is the standard. So this church, the Bible says, you have kept my word and then you have not denied my name. Their messages is, are always, always centered around the name of Jesus. Their messages are always centered around Christ. It's all about Jesus and what he has done. So Jesus gave them com commendation. Verse 9 says, Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which says they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know I have loved thee. These are religious people. Oh, another verse says, But they are liars. Um, I've already explained this when I was talking about the early church. These are religious people, religious people. And Jesus was saying, You know what? I'll make these people fall, come and fall down at your feet. And acknowledge that I have loved you. Jesus says he will make these people come to their feet and make them understand I have loved you. Hallelujah. And then verse 10 says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwelleth upon the heart. Verse 11. Behold, I come quickly, hold fast, that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, crying in this context is not talking about heaven. It's talking about no man take your reward. 
crown is a reward for the believer. It's a reward. Now, in context, though, we have the crown of life. We have the garment of righteousness. But in this context, in this particular context, we can we can sit down to, to study more the Bible. Uh, but there's a place in the book of Holy Spirit, where is this place, that talks about the the Bema seat of Christ. I don't want to digress too much, but it's based in the book of Corinthians. It should be in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm trying to remember these things offhand. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But by the way, the emphasis is talking about the fact that, uh, I'm just trying to explain that this, no one will take a crown. It's not a scary statement. You can't make them understand. Hold on to what you have because you have a reward for it. You know, the, the judgment day that is to come is not for the believers. The judgment of the believers are in the past. It already happened on the cross. We've been judged. Our judgment happened on the body of Christ. In, for the believer, what is coming is a day whereby we'll be rewarded for everything we're doing for Christ. For our works will be rewarded. This is not even about heaven or no heaven. If you're born again already, we already said to that in the in the past sessions. God has already given you eternal life. And eternal life is complete forgiveness of sins. All your sins are forgiven. You already, you already have heaven dwelling on your inside. You know what heaven is? Where God dwells. You know where God dwells now? On your inside if you're born again. So heaven is already settled for you. You are not trying to make heaven. It is not, Lord, let me make heaven. May I not miss it? That's a rubbish point. If you're born again, then you are already in heaven. If just is to come now, it's coming for you. No believer will be left behind. Rapture happens. So that is certain. But there's a crown Jesus was talking about and the book of 2 Corinthians also amplifies it. And that is actually about rewards for our service. There is no judgment for the believer, but there is a day of reward for the believer. For the unbeliever, there is judgment. There is a day of judgment for them. So do, do you understand what I'm trying to talk about? So we just say no one will take your crown. It's literally talking about the fact that it's not talking about the fact that, oh, so be, be, be careful, nobody takes your salvation. This is not salvation it's talking about. Rewards is the context of this crown talking about. I hope you get that. All right. And then verse 12, of course, we always say, to him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. And that verse says, to him who is victorious, is the same thing. And what does it mean to be victorious? What does it mean to overcome? We already established this from 1 John chapter 5, verse 5. What it simply means to overcome, what it means to be victorious is if you are born again, you are an overcomer. So the Bible says, if you are born again, I will make you a pillar in the temple of God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. The new Jerusalem, which come down from heaven, from my God, I will write upon them in your name. Either that and here, letting hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Hallelujah. I think we have one more church to go and then we'll wrap it up for today. But before we do, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than getting to know that God has plans for our lives. Jesus was saying, if you overcome, there's a new Jerusalem. This current world will come to an end. And that is awesome. There's a world after this world, a world without Corona, a world without Ebola, a world without malaria, a world without Lapa Lapa. No pain, no hospital, no prison. It's just pure life, pure good news, pure peace. The only thing that will be on heart at that time will be peace, joy, love, every good thing. And Jesus prepared that Jerusalem, that new world for his people, for his own, for believers. 
you know i really wish we have people preaching even if you want to you don't have to scare people with the gospel of hell to make them born again tell them what jesus has in store tell them about heaven tell them what jesus has in store for us you don't have to scare people with hell to bring them to christianity most of the time when you use the gospel of hell to bring people to christianity most of the time that means they didn't even hear the true gospel in the first place they may come out of that call because they, they are scared of going to hell but you know even if they're born again they won't enjoy the relationship of christianity god has called us into relationship it is not to bring us to a place where we just serve a god father uh, oh my god i have to do this for god or else something bad will happen you know that is not a good motivation for christian work god wants us to see him as our father not god father is seen as father knows <laughs> him as god father oh, if i don't pay my tithe something bad will happen god may take it eventually from us to be from no 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 that is not a good image of god pay your tithe because you know god your father not god father don't see him as god see him as god your father pay your tithe because you know he owns all your money he has blessed you and your 10 percent is just you acknowledging and saying lord i just know you are my god and I'm grateful to you. Out of the abundance you've given unto me, I'm giving you this in return. Let him know everything you do for him is, is motivated by love and not fear. Hallelujah. So let's check the last church. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If you missed the last sessions, if you missed the previous um, sessions on the book of Revelation, you should listen to them later on to catch up and understand where we are really coming from. We are currently in Revelation chapter 3. We started with chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. This is chapter 3, we are in chapter 3 today, we are continue chapter 4, and then we will take it a step further. And the reason why I took time to count more around chapter 2 and chapter 3 is because Jesus wrote to the seven churches. And again, I said your church will fall under one of these categories. Your church can either be a Philadelphia church, where they are always talking about the word of God, where they, where they always uphold the name of Jesus, where the, your pastor's message is centered around the name of Jesus. Your church can be Ephesus church. You know what Ephesus church is? That was the first the first church Jesus wrote to, Jesus said, I have one thing against you. Jesus said, you are forsaking your first love. What does first love, first love mean? First love is not our love for God. It is God's love for us. And any church that is not talking about God loves you, that is not reminding that you are radically loved by God. You are not trying to hang God's love. No matter where you are right now, God loves you. But Yinka, I'm in a mess. God loves you, mercy. <laughs> Yinka, I have a rough past. It can't stop God from loving God has loved you with an everlasting love. If your church is not preaching this, if they are not reminding you of the love of God, then they are efficient church. They fall under the category of efficient church. So Jesus wrote to the leaders, to the angel of the church, means to the messenger, to the leader. And Jesus said, repent. Start preaching about my love. Start talking about my love. Because God's people need to be reminded that they are loved by God. The pulpit is a place to feed God's sheep. And how do we feed God's sheep? By giving them words of faith, words of hope, and words of love. First Corinthians 13, 13, now those three things we made. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of them is the love of God. Hallelujah. And your church can fall under any categories. There was a particular church. Jesus said they ate the deed of Nicolaitan, which he also ate. What does the deed of Nicolaitan mean? The deed of Nicolaitan is any gospel that tells you that Jesus is not enough. If any man of God, anybody is preaching, Jesus is not enough. You should also have faith in handkerchief, in special water, in special bath, in special sponge, in special candle, 
is anything outside Jesus is a teaching of Nicolaitan. Jesus ate it. And to a particular church that allowed that teaching, Jesus rebuked them and he said they should repent. So again, your church will fall under any of the seven categories. And then the goal is to bring everybody to the unity of faith. The goal is to make us begin to feed God's sheep with the engrafted word of God, which is able to save their soul. Hallelujah. So let's go to the last church, Laodicean's church. I'm going to start reading from verse 14 of Revelation chapter 3. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, write, These things said the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. What did Jesus do here? He unveiled himself to this church. Jesus gave this church a revelation about himself. Jesus said, this is, These are the words of the Amen. He called himself the Amen. He called himself the faithful and the true witness. He called himself the ruler of God's creation. So Jesus, first of all, revealed himself to the church, gives them a fresh revelation about himself before he tells them what he wants to tell them. Hallelujah. So that's what Jesus told him. Jesus said, I know thy works, and thou art neither cold or hot. I would, I would that thou were cold or hot. That's verse 15. Now, I know people use this place a lot. Now, Jesus is now writing to all the church. Jesus is not addressing the body of Christ that the body of Christ is either cold. Jesus is addressing a specific church. I've seen preachers use this portion of the Bible to address people that God is not even addressing, addressing here. If God is helping you right now and you're, you have a consistent prayer life, yeah, you don't have to put yourself under this church. Jesus was speaking to a category of the church. I've seen preachers scare people, scare God to permit them to, and they tell them things like, we used to be hot, we used to, we used to be on fire for God in the next two years, in the next three years. Don't give people a scary expectation of future. You know what hope is? Hope is a positive expectation of good in the future. It's not even a prayer point. In the next two years, we used to be on fire for God. Don't scare them with it. Why can't you give them and say, I strongly believe by the grace of God. You're serving God now, and I also believe in the next two years, you will still be on fire for God. That's the message of hope. You don't have to say, we used to be on fire for God. I make them feel bad. Give them insecurity. I'm going to bless you. They may not. Tell them, because faith, hope, and love. Tell them, I strongly believe by the grace of God. You will, even in time to come, even in the next 50 years, you will still be radically on fire for God. That's, that's how a preacher should, should preach. Give people hope. Don't give them insecurity about we used to be on fire for God in the next 10 years. And they're also thinking, hmm, that, that's, not, that's not hope. <laughs> that's not hope. You guys are just feeling insecurity. I hope you get But anyway, but this church, Jesus said, you know what? This specific church, Jesus was telling the leader of the church. Because you don't have to quote scripture out of context. Jesus was writing to who? Who is Jesus writing to? To the angel. If you don't understand this, I've seen people take this word, this scripture, out of context. And they say, you're another, and they just address the whole body of Christ. They address the whole congregation. No, Jesus writing to the angel of the church, to the leader of the church. And so Jesus said, I know your works. You're neither cold or hot. I wish you're one of the other. And what Jesus was trying to make him understand is, if you're cold, I can write to you as the one who is cold. 
with the words of my mouth. If you're hurt, I can address you from a hurt standpoint. I can either give you commendation or give you um or tell you more things to do. Just that I wish you're one of the other. And basically, oath or code or hurt simply means I wish you are you are you're on fire for me. And it's a it's a cut phrase. On fire simply it's a it's a excuse me, figurative way of saying I wish you're consistent in your in your your act of service in your service to me so this church god was writing to the leader that at times your heart it's a um, picture of at times you you're yeah you're doing stuff you're you're reviving the people and again i'm trying to look at i don't want to make this sound too deep Art, you know we have a picture about that heart is ah that guy prayed for two hours that's what we're talking about you are hot and cold is not ah that guy doesn't it doesn't pray three hours. You understand? Don't don't have art as somebody is praying three hours. Quote, this guy don't pray three hours. That's not what it means. This is just talking about the fact that when your heart is centered, is drawing for God, is burning for God, we can call that hot. When you're 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 for example now, if you're if you join session almost every day, that means your heart is panting after God. Your heart. That's that's a that's a that's a picture of being hot. And some people say just a, a figurative way, say you are on fire for God. And if you are not drawing towards God, if you are not drawing near to God, if you are not centered, focused on the things of God, we can put a picture of your code. So again, I'm just trying to say it's not because we still some of us demarcate it and say, ah, that guy's on fire, he's hot. In that church, they pray three hours, six hours. That is not what we are talking about. It's not how long our church. We're talking, it's just talking about that. Your heart in the context of your heart is drawn towards me. You are always doing things centered around me, focused on me. But if your cold simply means you are not running after me, panting after me, you're not, you're not, yeah, doing things of seeking God. If that's another way to put it. I don't want to complicate it for you. So Jesus said, let us hear what I'll just address it. Verse 16. So then, because you are lukewarm, you are not one of the two. At times you say people should serve God. At times you put people's focus on God. And then on other days you come and preach. And then you, you do take the attention away from God. You put it on self. Just because you are lukewarm. Neither hot nor cold. Listen everybody. I am about to spill you out of my mouth. For a start, this doesn't mean the, the leader of the church will lose his salvation. Don't, don't say what the scripture is not saying. What does I'm about to spill you out of my mouth? What does it mean? You know, if you have the passion translation of the Bible, TPT, it says, this is not a complete rejection, for Jesus gives them a call to repent and return to a place of being passionate and zealous for God. So that's what it means. Zealous for God, love the things of God, is what it means to be hot. If you're in a church whereby you don't talk about the things of God, you don't talk about the word of God, then you're cold. If you're not zealous about the things of God, you're cold. But what does Jesus say to the leader? So, TPT, last part is, I'm about to literally give you out of my mouth, spill you out of my mouth. What is in the mouth of Jesus? It's not deep. What is in the mouth of Jesus is the word of God. Jesus said the words I speak, they are spirit and life. Jesus said, sanctify them with thy truth, thy word is truth. Jesus said, um, you are clean because of the words I speak to you. So, again, so the focus is to make you understand that the, this word is centered around Jesus. So if Jesus said, I'm about to spill you out of my mouth, what does it mean? 
I'm about to stop addressing you. I'm about to stop washing with you know we are the we are the church we are, we are the bride of Christ and Jesus is very consistent in watching us in washing us with the water of his word and when Jesus will write to you for example if you read a place in the Bible and he minister to you in the spirit is like God will wash watching you with the water of his word so if Jesus said I'm about to speak out of my mouth that means I'm, I'm about to stop addressing you I'm about to stop speaking to you from the water of my mouth Again, if you are hurt, it becomes easy for me to write to you, to speak to you as though you are hurt. If you are cold, it becomes easy for me to speak to you as you are cold. I mean, if, if you're in a church, if you're a leader of a church and then you guys are not zealous for God, Jesus can write to you from that standpoint and tell you to repent, encourage you to, to start falling in love with the things of God again. You know, this is the last church. Let me bring it to the closing church. This is the last church Jesus wrote. The first church Jesus wrote to you, you know what Jesus told them? Jesus said, you are forsaking your first love. That was the first church you wrote to. You left your first love. So in that area of that church, it's not as like the church is growing cold. So Jesus told them, you know what? Do the things you do at first. Repent. That's what Jesus told them. Because in that area, they're growing cold. This church, at times, they are zealous for God. At times, today, they are not. And the responsibility, Jesus is putting on the leader. And Jesus was telling the leader, not the church, the leader of the church. I'm about to stop addressing you. I'm about to stop speaking to you regarding this area. I'm about to spin you out of my mouth because in the mouth of Jesus is the word of God. And from the word of God comes total cleansing, total sanctification. And they will keep feeding on the word of God is life and powerful to cut between the soul and the spirit, joint and the marrow. So I will speak out of my mouth simply because I'll stop addressing you. I, I, I think it's not really good. He's not talking about the fact that the pastor will lose his salvation. A believer will not be will not lose, just will not take back what he was giving. It's not possible for a believer to lose his salvation. Don't say what the Bible is not saying. This thing is clear in the Bible. John 16 is clear. Okay, so let's bring it to a close. So Jesus said, I'm about to speak out of my mouth. Verse 17 says, Now listen, listen. I think the Bible actually showed us again some of the things that happened in this church. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need it. Because you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. Next verse. So this church focus, when they are cold, their focus is on what they have and not what Christ has given to them. They are more focused on, on, on money than Christ. But the thing says, I counsel you to buy me gold. Just spoke their language. Buy me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich so just is trying to say if you if you claim you are rich then buy me gold stop don't forget there was a particular church just was telling them well okay we read it in the book of first corinthians that don't build on another foundation apart from the one laid by jesus christ if you build on gold that's a foundation laid by jesus gold silver and um, stone is a is a divine substance if you build on that you're building on the foundation of jesus if you build on wood a straw, you are building on men's work. So Jesus was telling them, buy me gold. You can't buy gold with, with literal money. It, you have to be born again to buy to buy Christ's righteousness. So he's not talking about, he knows they can't buy it. So he was like, I can't say to buy me gold. Refine in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes. White clothes means righteousness. White clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. 
and slave to put on your own eyes so you can see next verse thank you jesus to whom i love i rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent now the bible is clear here you will love i rebuke you will love i discipline let me see what my version says of verse 18 as when verse 19 as when i love i rebuke and chase things god doesn't correct with sickness he corrects with the words of his mouth I've had somebody one time who was having stomach pain. And then he said, I said, let me pray for you, you'll be healed. He said, no, no, no. God is teaching him a lesson because he did something wrong. God doesn't teach people lessons with sickness. He doesn't. It, it, he corrects with the words of his mouth. That's why Jesus was writing to his church. I wish you a hot or cold. So to wrap it up, this church in total, in totality or in summary, is that church that at times they are zealous for God. They are Yes, they are focused on the things of God. But at times they focus on what they have, they focus on their money, they focus on on things, substance, and then they put their confidence in substance. You know, I'm trying to see how we communicate this and then you won't misquote me. Um, this church actually puts confidence in money. There's nothing wrong with money. They put confidence in prosperity. There, there's nothing wrong in prosperity. But you know, if Jesus is not the center, or if not the focus, if not is not the is not the foundation of the prosperity you're preaching, then something is wrong. Because Jesus is our prosperity. Jesus is our all in all. But if Jesus is not the focus of what you're preaching, and you're telling people to have confidence in substance over the firm foundation, Jesus, then something is wrong. So Jesus wrote to the leader of the church. He told the leader to the angel. He said, you have, for a start, I wish you are hot or you are cold. He said, if you are not hot, if you are not cold, he said, I will spew out of my mouth. I will stop addressing with the words of my mouth. I will stop speaking to you from the words of my mouth. Thank you so much. He said, because you are lukewarm. Who was just speaking to? You must get this. Who was he speaking to? The leader of the church. But you know, the Bible will say, he was and here, letting Holy Spirit say. So if I wake up tomorrow and I realize I've not been zealous for the things of God in the past few days, and I read this, it, that means it's, it, can, it can be addressed to me. And I want to keep feeding on the word of God. I want to be zealous for the things of God. That's why it can be art in a figurative way. So in this church, we're neither art or neither good. It simply means at times they are this, at times they are that. But one of the things just also addressed to them is, they are focused on money. They are, they are, they are, they are actually some churches where their, their center focus is around money. <laughs> they preach the gospel of money more than the gospel of Christ. They talk more about money over what Jesus has done for the, for the for their church member. And Jesus is writing to the church. Repent. I, I'm saying this to you because I love you. That's what Jesus said. You are, you, you, you are love. I, I correct. I change things. And then if you read the next verse, the next verse you say something like, to him who overcomes. Let us see that, that last verse and let's wrap it up. To him who overcomes, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and started with the right father. This is the last words of Jesus to the last church of the seven churches. To the one who overcomes. What does it mean to overcome? It's not a prayer point. If you're born again, you are an overcomer. If you're born again, you are victorious. You are not trying to be victorious. No. You have been made a victor. 
Jesus' victory is your victory. On the cross, when Jesus won all your battle for you and defeated devil, that victory was also your victory. It's like the battle that happened between David and Goliath. When David won, nobody in the, in the land of Israel had to fight anymore because David, their representative, already won. It's the same way today because Jesus, your representative, won. You do not have to fight. You just have to rest in the victory of Christ. That's why the Bible says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. The book of Revelation later on says, we overcame by the blood of the Lamb. You are not trying to overcome. You are not trying to win in life. You are a victor because Jesus fought all your battle and won on your behalf. So Christ's victory is your victory. You can speak to the mountain to respond. You can lay hands on the sick, they will recover. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. It's been an awesome ride. So that's the end of Revelation chapter 3. From tomorrow, we'll continue Revelation chapter 4. And then we'll see how far God is going to help us in the book of Revelation. It's been an awesome ride. If you have any questions, send us a DM, send us an email on network at gmail.com. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise. We thank you because you're such a good God. And you're unveiling unto us the truth about your word. That you love us so much. And you make us understand that even though you wrote to the seven churches, uh, you kept reminding us from time to time that unto we that have overcome, because we believe in Jesus, we know we are an overcomer. And thank you for the promises. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we declare, Lord, I declare that as many people listening right now, their day is blessed in the mighty name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be so gracious unto you. When you begin to get the good you don't deserve, because Jesus took all of your bad that he didn't deserve on the cross of Calvary. And surely only God's goodness and mercy, favor and grace begins to hunt you down all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. And like God's people say, Amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Catch up with all of our past sessions online for free. Just click on the link in bio, and then she'll be able to connect you to all our past sessions. And of course, um, if you're joining by the means of video, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, click on the link in our bio. It will redirect you to all of our past sessions and then you'll be able to listen to them so that you can catch up with us from tomorrow. Thank you so much. Everybody. If you have been blessed by this message, we invite you to partner with us to send the gospel of God's love to all nations. Send us an email on truespiritualitynetwork at gmail.com. You can also follow us on all social media platforms, True Spirituality Network on both Facebook and Instagram, T-Spirituality on Telegram, and Akimika on YouTube. So catch up with all our podcasts, search for Akimika on all major platforms, including Spotify, audio mark and anchor as you feed on god's love for you allow his love to cast out every fear and remember it's not about you it's all about jesus